Albert Pujols joins the 700 home run club. Aaron Judge is still stuck on 60. The Mets and Braves are headed toward Armageddon as we're down to the final nine days of the baseball season. NFL Week 3 wasn't much to write home about despite a couple of surprising wins with Indianapolis, Miami, and Jacksonville. Wake Forest almost pulled off a big upset versus Clemson, but Oklahoma gets picked off at home as more teams look to get themselves into the top 10. Ime Udoka's year-long suspension is official, but his termination up next for the disgraced Celtics head coach. The final week of the month is here as we get ready for the fourth quarter of 2022 with all the latest hard-hitting sports talk provided by yours truly. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's almost time to say goodbye to another month. As September is down to its last few days, but it's also... Time to say hello to another fast-paced, jam-packed podcast that covers the wide spectrum of the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into here as we'll go through an NFL Week 3 that was ho-hum to say the least. Yes, you had a couple of surprises a bore of a Sunday night game and in these first three weeks although you've had some excitement although you've had some drama but yesterday was pretty much a dud and I understand that the NFL fan could say a bad NFL Sunday is better than any other good sports sports day I beg to differ I'll touch on that later on I'll also get into the Pro Bowl is no longer thank goodness going to be around anymore but they're downscaling it to the point where it's going to be flag football Uh, You know how I'm going to feel about this I'll get to that later on As well as everything that's happening in college Oklahoma losing to Kansas State Where you have the Sooners Are going to drop out of the top 10 You would think I'll take a look at what the top 10 is going to look like Where we had a lot of teams Either USC surviving against Oregon State Texas A&M looks like they're on the comeback Considering what they've done here over the last two weeks And Miami That had to be one of the worst losses In hurricane history, a far cry of what we've seen in the past when it comes to the U and losing to Middle Tennessee State, that is as bad as it gets. That, the NBA, I'll throw in two more cents on the whole Ime Odoka suspension. Word broke pretty much hours after I started recording, or before I started recording, I should say, on Thursday to where the Celtic coach was looking at a year-long suspension because of his relationship with a woman that was violated by the team or the organization's policy and now there's been a couple of other things although not considered official or confirmed but there's some other things that are floating around where you have to wonder whether or not that the coach or I should say disgrace coach who 
is sitting on the shelf for a year, but who knows if the Celtics will pull the plug on his employment considering some things that may or may not be brought to the surface here. And I'm sure Celtic fans like myself, I have a very strong opinion on this and where they should go as far as the direction when it comes to the future of this team, the interim coach. Let's see how that plays out. I'll talk about that later on and a couple other things before we say goodbye. But we're going to start off with the baseball, of course. As we are now less than 10 days away from the end of the baseball season. In fact, a week from this coming Wednesday, it will conclude. And as far as the drama is concerned, nothing along the lines of any particular race other than the NL East. And I'll get to the Mets in a little bit. Because this week is going to be fascinating leading up to Friday. The big series down in Atlanta, which is going to determine the division between the Mets and the Braves. But I'm going to start off with the... Home run chases where one is already complete and it was a little bit of a surprise because if you would have asked me this a week ago today where Albert Pujols was at 698 and Aaron Judge was at 59 home runs, if you would have said who's going to attain not only just 60 but let's say 61, the number that Roger Maris back in 1961 was able to surpass the Yankee and American League home run record. And for Judge, who was just two away, and he did it a home run last Tuesday night against the Pirates. But if we rewind to last week, I would have thought it would have been a lock that by this recording, Aaron Judge would have achieved 61 and maybe even surpassed the American League and Yankee record to where he would stand alone. It would be maybe not huge news, but big news in the baseball circles because a lot of people feel as if the home run record, although Barry Bonds in 2001 hit 73, but there are a lot of people, including yours truly, and I get it. You can't erase that from the record books. It's there. Bonds has it. Understood. But we all know that the accusations, the steroids, etc., we know that that record is enhanced by PED use. Whereas if Judge were to somehow tie or even surpass Roger Maris, You would think it's going to be under the guise of him being clean, not having to deal with the cloud of steroids hanging over him, and that it would be legitimate, and a lot of people would feel that that is the true single-season home run record. Well, as we sit here today, Albert Pujols on Friday night not only hit 699, but he hit 700 deep into the Los Angeles night as he is the fourth player in Major League Baseball history to hit 700 home runs. And that is a milestone to be celebrated because as I've said before and I'll say one last time, I don't think there's anybody that is currently active that is going to come close to hitting 700 home runs for a career. And I have a list here to go through to back that up. Let's start off with the guy that is closest to Albert Pujols right now and that is a one Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera's 39 years old. He just hit the 500 home run mark this year and he's currently at 506. There is no way that he's going to come anywhere close to 700, let alone 600. So Cabrera, we could just put off to the side and put that as a hard no. Nelson Cruz, the longtime DH, I believe he's still in Washington. He is at 459 and he is, I believe, 41 years of age. So we could scratch him off the list. The next person you could look at, Giancarlo Stanton. 375 home runs. He is currently 31 years of age. The season is now down to its precious few games. He has five more years in a Yankee uniform after this year until his contract is up at the age of 38. He'll be 33, I believe, in November. So even if he plays those five years and is healthy, and a lot of ifs when it comes to that, and hits 40 home runs, Even if he does that, let's say if he averages 40 home runs over the next five years, which would bring him to 200, that'll add up to 575 home runs. So we could pretty much scratch Giancarlo from that equation. Mike Trout at 346 home runs. He's a year younger, has plenty more years left on his contract. I want to say he has maybe 10 more years on that deal. But let's just say for argument's sake, he hits 30 home runs over those 10 years on average there's some he's going to probably hit 35 he may even hit 40 but there's going to be some that he may hit 29 but let's just give him 30 home runs a year over the next 10 years of that contract 
That's 300. Plus 346, that's 646. Now, mind you, could he hang on to hit another 54 home runs to get to 700? You would think it's quite possible, knowing that Pujols has made it to the age of 42. But again, it's going to be a long shot. And especially with Trout's back the way it is, knowing that he has his condition, yes, he's still playing, but as he gets older, I'm sure it's going to continue to bark and it's going to continue to crop up. So even if he hit 30 home runs over the next 10 years, he's going to fall 54 home runs short of 700. And then when we're talking about the Joey Votto's of the world, who's already, I believe, 38 years of age and has 342 home runs, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, both with 285 and 281 home runs respectively, and they're both 31 years of age and they still have a lot of years left on their contracts, but again, they're not even at 300 and we're talking about 700. So let's congratulate Mr. Pujols because I know as long as I'm alive and who knows as far as my grandson, if he's able to see a major league baseball player, whether he's 16 years old somewhere on this planet that is looking to make his mark on the major leagues or someone that is, hasn't even been born yet, that could be a star that could approach 700 home runs. Who knows when that's going to be or who that will be. So let's just cherish this record or really milestone, it's not a record, where he belongs in the ranks of Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and the aforementioned Barry Bonds as the only players ever to live or to walk this planet to hit 700 home runs in a career. To turn to Aaron Judge, he did hit his 60th home run against the Pirates last Tuesday, and a lot of people thought that with five games left on the homestand, knowing that he just needed one to tie Roger Maris and two to surpass him, that it almost looked like a foregone conclusion that that was going to happen. I don't know if it was him being under the gun a little bit. Maybe he was gripping the bat a little bit too tight. I know on Thursday night against the, I believe it was against the Red Sox where he hit one dead center right to the track. Yes, it was against the Red Sox because Kike Hernandez caught it right at the wall. That was the closest he came to hitting a home run since he hit his 60th. And you have to wonder, with the fans... His family in town, again, a lot of pressure. I'm sure he had to get tickets, a lot of distractions from the outside. I'm sure a lot of people, whether walking the street, just cheering him on, encouraging him to get that 61st home run or at least to get number 62 here at home in front of his fan base, not going to happen as they go to Toronto. But I believe at the end of the week, they do come back to play Baltimore over the weekend. So let's say even if he hits 61 up in Toronto over the next few days, he still will have a shot to break the record at home, which, who knows? With Judge pressing a little bit and feeling the, maybe, I don't want to say weight of the world is a little bit too strong, but again, knowing that he's that close and he had five games to have an opportunity to match and even pass Roger Maris, his only shot was Thursday in the ninth inning where the ball died at the warning track. And who knows? Only he can answer that, and I'm sure he's going to take the high road to say, hey, I haven't gotten a lot of good pitches, or I've had some good swings. Some have felt good, some haven't, but let's see if it comes here over the course of the next week and a half before the season is out, because I'm sure a lot of people, including myself, and everybody knows I am not a Yankee fan, but I would love to see Judge not only just tie Roger Maris, but pass him to be the American League home run record season single holder. Now, with what else is going on in the sport, give it up to the Guardians. What a month that they've had. 18-3, and three, I believe, over the last 21. They clinched the division there yesterday. And a lot of people think that they could be a sleeper pick to go to a World Series because A, they're peaking at the right time. B, they have a good rotation and also a good bullpen. And we all know that it's all about pitching in October. But here's the other thing. The other component that's important for October is timely hitting. And that you can never predict. Yes, we have a lot of big-time bats that will head into October, whether it's the Yankee lineup and their prowess, especially when it comes to hitting home runs. The Astros, based on their track record over the last five, six years and what they've done in October. And yes, they have had some power come out of that lineup over the years, whether your name is Carlos Correa or George Springer. But we know that they still have a very good lineup. And even Michael Brantley, you're not going to see him this postseason, but they still have Jordan Alvarez. They still have Alex Bregman. They still have Jose Altuve. They still have bats in there that could do some damage. 
So we cannot discount what the Astros could do. The Indians, other than Jose Ramirez, you cannot pick out of a lineup, like I mentioned a few weeks ago. But they desperately need some timely hitting if they're thinking of even going past the wild card round into the division series and the league championship series. Because, yes, you could have your starters go seven, eight innings and hand it off to the bullpen. But if you're down one nothing or down 2-1 and you need that clutch hit or a big home run, that is the one offense in the sport that is not going to be able to carry their team to the bitter end because it's going to be all about their pitching. Yes, we understand batters could get hot and before you know it, they get into some good luck and good fortune to where they get themselves off to a good start, 2 nothing lead, 3 nothing lead, 4-1 in the 5th, and now they're going to rely on their pitching. But we understand that's not going to be the case all the time because the Guardians are also going to face tough pitchers and they're going to have to see whether or not that they're going to be able to come through in the clutch. So we'll have to keep that in mind as we get into the end of next week. And then there's the National League East, where it's all going to come down to this coming weekend, and I'll talk a lot more about it come Thursday's podcast, because with the Mets coming back from Oakland winning two out of three, and the Braves, great job by them. They lost the first two games in Philadelphia, where they won the back two, including yesterday, where they won an extra innings, just to kind of keep themselves within arm's length of the Mets as far as the division goes because as it is right now the Mets are currently one and a half games ahead in the division where the Braves go to Washington for three games starting tonight Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with a day off on Thursday and then the Mets with a day off today have just a two-game homestand against the Miami Marlins before a day off on Thursday and then let's see what's going to happen come this weekend where the Met pitching will be aligned you'll have Chris Bassett pitch Friday Jacob DeGrom pitched Saturday and had a brutal performance there against the A's this past Saturday. And then Scherzer on Sunday, which would be good because it would align their pitching if they do win a division to where they'll have plenty of rest going into the following week, which would start a division series if the Mets were to prevail and capture the National League Eastern Division crown. But with the Braves and Mets playing inferior opponents in the division, you would think that there may be an opportunity where the Mets could gain a half game tonight or even the Braves could gain a half game themselves. So by the time we get to tomorrow, either the Mets are going to be two games ahead or a game back where you have the two games with the Mets in Miami and then the Braves will conclude their two games in Washington against the Nats. And let's see where the chips fall. You would think it should be chalk considering it's this deep in the season The Braves got off the mat there on Saturday and Sunday in Philadelphia. You would think that they should win minimum two games. I wouldn't be surprised if they sweep. And then the Mets, even though they'll pitch Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker Tuesday and Wednesday, but there have been times where the Marlins have been pesky against the Mets, so who knows? Watch this be a time where the Marlins will get up for them knowing that they could play spoiler. And all we could say is, come Thursday, and you know I'm going to lead the show with that, Wherever the standings may be, whether they're tied, whether the Mets are still a game up, two games up, whatever it is, this weekend is pretty much going to be the telltale sign, even with the series after that, where the, I believe the Braves go to Miami to conclude the season, and then the Mets will host Washington. So, still a week away from that. First things first, let's see how this series plays out. And all I could say is that the Mets... As long as they're one game up, I think they'll be fine. If it's even, I think it could be a little bit dicey. Because if the Braves win two out of three, then they'll have the advantage going into next week. I could break down all the potential scenarios, whether the Mets are up, behind, tied. Let's just get to Thursday and I'll dissect it and regurgitate it then to preview that big series and we will take it from there. As far as the wild cards are concerned, in the American League, you have Toronto currently in the fourth spot, first place in the wild card, two and a half games ahead of the Rays. You'd think they'd be in good shape here now as we're down to about nine, ten games left here in the season. The Rays are just a half game ahead of the Mariners who had a bad loss yesterday against the Royals and they've been scuffling here down the stretch. But they're going to be in good shape because the Orioles are four games back and with... 10 games to play for the Orioles. The Mariners have nine games to play, so there is a game in hand. 
But that's just a lot of ground to make up, even with Seattle in a bit of a free fall here. So you would think that the Mariners would try to maybe even stay at the sixth seed. Not that they're going to tank just to stay there because if the Mariners do end up with the final wildcard spot, they will go to Cleveland to play a three-game series to start off the wildcard weekend where Tampa and Toronto, depending on whether or not Tampa catches them, but Toronto will host Tampa in a three-game series. And of course, those two teams are very familiar with one another considering that they play in the AL East. And as far as the National League, we know the Braves well ahead in the race for the top wildcard spot in the National League. But then you have the Padres, who now, with the back two wins over the weekend, where the Phillies, as I talked about, losing to the Braves, but the Padres did themselves a favor by winning two games in Colorado. Now they host the Dodgers, and we all know they've been off against the Dodgers this year. So even with them... Right now in the fifth spot, which they would have to go to Atlanta to play in a wild card round if the season ended today. And the Phillies would play in St. Louis. But with the Phillies just a game back, but a game and a half in the division, game back in the loss column, that is. Let's see what the Phillies will do. And let's see who they play here this upcoming week. The Phillies will go to Chicago tomorrow to start a series against the Cubs. So maybe they could get themselves back in the win column with some games out at Wrigley Field. Other than that, that's what you have there with the latest in the wild card and the division. Again, there's just one division that's pretty much left, that being the NL East. And then the wild card, let's see how that shapes up over the course of the next week where you have the Brewers, forgot them, two games behind in the loss with the Phillies and a game and a half back in the wild card race for the final spot. And they will play the Cardinals at home in a two-game series starting tomorrow. And that's good because then come Thursday, I'll talk about their weekend schedule. And away we go. So that's what we have there with the baseball. Let's turn our attention as I put on the helmet and shoulder pads to go over the NFL and college circuit. This NFL Week 3 was about as ho-hum as we've seen in quite some time. And as I say week in, week out, I get it that it's not going to be fast and furious You're not going to have that witching hour where you're going to have four, five, or six games that you're going to be on the edge of your seat wondering whether or not there's going to be an upset or whether or not this team's going to pull out a victory. Understood. But yesterday, although you got a little bit of that in the one o'clock hour, but this was a day that across the board, if you ask me, was pretty much boredom. I hate to say it. And the highlight games of the day when we talk about Buffalo and Miami, And obviously, Green Bay and Tampa, those are the two games that everybody's going to look in and focus in on, especially at the start of the day. But when we talk about the winners and losers of the week, as I start off with my winners, the first team is going to be the Indianapolis Colts. And the only reason why I say that is because, yes, we could look at KC as a loser based on what Chris Jones did on the final drive by the Colts where he got an unsportsmanlike penalty Joying at Matt Ryan for whatever the reason. I'm sure he threw in a lot of expletives where the official that was standing nearby threw the flag on top of some insults, I'm sure, directed at the Colt quarterback. But that sustained the drive for the Colts. They were able to get a touchdown late down 17-13. And yes, we could point the finger at the Chiefs, but it's really about the Colts and everything that going into this year, even with an aging Matt Ryan, but with a good young wide receiver, with a Good young nucleus of a defense, even though Shaq Leonard, a.k.a. Darius Leonard, has been out to start off the season. But they have severely disappointed and underachieved to the point where they had to come from behind just to tie in Houston and were embarrassed in Jacksonville. For them to get this game, even though it was on a gift by Chris Jones, a defensive lineman, but just knowing that they got a win under their belt and they're not going to throw it back and they're going to take it and run with it, At least for this week, we could give it up to the Colts. And yes, some blame goes to the Chiefs for that matter, but I'll give the Colts a little bit of shine. They are my winner number one. My winner number two, and I'm going to have to eat some severe crow, or in this case, eagle, this coming season, but I'm picking the Eagles as my second winner. Granted, they played nobody. Let's start there. I know I'm throwing some cold water on them, They barely got by Detroit, who I understand they're a little feisty and they play hard on the Dan Campbell and they suffered a brutal loss there yesterday in Minnesota where they had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter and they came back late to win. But they let the Lions come back where they had a big lead in the first week 
We saw what they did last week in a Monday night game against the Vikings. And then yesterday, they just dismantled the Washington Commanders where they had a 24-0 lead and then they tacked on eight points at the end. But Jalen Hurts, what a start he's getting off to. Everybody's now talking about him being the early front runner for MVP. Can we relax? We're three weeks into the season. Relax. But I got to give it up. Jalen Hurts has gotten off to a tremendous start. Had another big day on the field with 340 passing yards. Devontae Smith tacked on 169 in a TD with eight receptions of his own. And the Eagles, again, inferior competition, but 3-0, their number was 9.5, and I picked them as an under. I just thought I didn't believe in the quarterback, although he has ability, and I have nothing against the guy. I'm rooting for him. I hope he does well, but my gut was telling me, "Uh uh-uh, I need to see a lot more than what I've seen, but he has shut me up here in these first three weeks to not only a 3-0 record, but he has put up some big numbers personally and for the team to where they're off to a tremendous start. So that's my winners of the week, my losers of the week, and I have to start off with this team, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, people could say, Jay Reels, what about Jacksonville being a winner? Going east to west, 38-10, Trevor Lawrence, 2-1 at the top of the AFC South. Give them their due. Yes, I could do that, and I will do that. Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, Yes, they had a week one where they should have won in Washington because they had taken the lead. I believe they were trailing early and then they took the lead before Washington took over and won the game. So they could actually be 3-0 and in this young season. But the reason why I picked the Chargers as my loser number one is because this is a team that a lot of people thought that they could be a Super Bowl contending team. That even with all of the baggage, all of the snakes, All of the bad luck and karma that this team has had over the years where they've had brutal game-ending losses, brutal playoff defeats. I don't need to go through the littered laundry list of all of the mishaps that the Chargers have had over the years. And I understand that the quarterback, Justin Herbert, was hurt. He suffered that rib injury against the Kansas City Chiefs on that Thursday night game 11 days ago. And he gutted it out. I know a lot of people questioned why was he in the game with a minute to go with the game well out of reach at 38-10. He said he wanted to be out there with his teammates. He wanted to show, I guess, him being a little bit tough. And not only that, but just to be there for his teammates, which you got to admire, and I got to give it up, but that was very risky and dangerous, and it could have put not only his health, but the team's health overall, as far as way out of the Super Bowl picture, to say the least, once you have your star quarterback go down. But the Chargers, just a putrid effort, and... If they would have lost to Jacksonville at home in a close game, all right, then I would have given up to Jacksonville times 10. But because they did not show, they were horrific defensively, they did not do anything offensively, and I get it, Keenan Allen was not playing, but that is just a poor showing by a team that a lot of people expected to not only have a good record in the AFC West, but also maybe even go to a Super Bowl. Terrible. Loser number one. And my second loser, I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because... They started off their season 2-0 with very unimpressive victories on the road in Dallas. And then last week, we saw them win in New Orleans, finally getting that piano off their back because they were unable to beat the Saints in all those regular season games over the last few years. But they were not a good show offensively, even in that game. And I get it, Mike Evans was out with the suspension, with the scuffle that he had with Marcus Lattimore last week. But Tampa... We know they're good defensively and they gave up 14 points to Aaron Rodgers and if I would have told you that early on in the day that the Tampa defense was only going to give up 14, you probably thought, all right, well maybe Tampa put up 21 or 24, maybe even 27. Not the case. They were down 14 to 6 until they get a touchdown late and then they missed on the two-point conversion. They lose 14-12, a bad home loss and I get it. It is Green Bay And Green Bay has had their own issues early on. Granted that they got better last Sunday night against the Bears. But if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, you do not like what you see offensively with this team. They scored 19 points in Dallas. They scored 20 points in the Superdome. And then now only 12 points here. Not to say that this team had to be a juggernaut offensively. They've gotten nothing out of Leonard Fournette. Their wide receiver core, it's pretty much in shambles. No Julio Jones. We talked about Evans. Their offense right now is invisible. And you have to wonder if this is going to be a trend. We know about their offensive line. 
But Tampa, just a poor showing there at home against Green Bay. And who knows what that's going to mean down the road as far as tiebreakers are concerned. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. But other than that, this week was a snooze fest. Am I really going to get into a lot of these games? I know the Bengals got in the win column beating the Jets. But again, 27-12, the Jets couldn't capitalize off of that miraculous victory in Cleveland the week before. Am I going to get crazy about Carolina beating New Orleans? I guess we could say for those who thought the Saints were going to be that team, the surprise in the NFC to even go to an NFC title game. Well, how's that looking so far? Even with the coach saying that he's going to stick with Jameis Winston despite him being inefficient here over the first three games of the season. And kudos to Carolina for winning a game. But I'm not going to get into that. The Rams winning out in the desert against Arizona. Uh, Seriously, Uh, what's there to discuss? Pretty much a bore of a game. The Sunday night game was, it set the league back 60 years. And you could talk about the defenses and how they played, and rightfully so. Both the Niners and Broncos were stout defensively. But boy, that was a game that made your eyes bleed. And I don't want to hear one way or the other. You could talk about, oh, it was tooth and nail. The defenses were on point. You saw what they did there throughout the course of the game. I get it now that the game is tailored for the offenses to thrive here and to put up a lot of points. And yes, it's great to see defenses step up. We don't have the defenses of yesteryear, whether it's the Steel Curtain, the Doomsday defense, going back to the Monsters of the Midway. We don't have those stout defensive teams that we can look at and say, oh, I want to see how this team plays defense. Yes, the Broncos are good defensively. We know the reputation that the Niners have. And yes, if you love defensive football, great. And I love defensive football. But what we saw there last night, even with the Bronco offense, and they still haven't, to me, gotten on track this season, even with Russell Wilson there in Denver. And now Jimmy G having to replace Trey Lance, who's out for the rest of the year with that broken ankle. And he wasn't his best self there last night at Mile High. So that's just another example of how yesterday pretty much went in a nutshell. Houston at Chicago. I understand that the Bears pulled it out there 23-20. But again, is anybody going to be writing home about that matchup or how that game played out? Absolutely not. In a game that I briefly touched on earlier where the Lions had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against the Vikings on the road and they were unable to pull it out where they end up losing 28-24. to The connection of Kirk Cousins to K.J. Osborne with about what, 45 seconds to go pulled out the victory and the Lions, you could see some improvement. We talked about it with the opening game against the Eagles, although they trailed big, but they did come back and made it interesting in a losing effort against Philadelphia. Then they beat the Commanders the next week at home before now they had an opportunity to go 2-1 and and 1-0 in the division. And that's going to be a loss that I'm sure Dan Campbell probably threw over a banquet table and a couple of Gatorade jugs. So the Lions are going to have to lick their wounds from this loss. A tough one to say the least. And the Vikings, after that poor performance on Monday night against the Eagles, bounce back and get themselves in the win column. Besides that, the other games of note Buffalo, Miami, and super surprised to see the Dolphins win at home. I know there was a big disparity when it comes to the plays. I believe the Bills had 90 offensive plays to the Dolphins, 39. And when you look at that from the outset, you probably think to yourself, geez, what did they win, 42-0? Now, I didn't follow this game closely, but just knowing that the Dolphins with Tua took over Loa, who had a good first half, and then I know there's been some controversy regarding his health because he had to be pulled from the game as he was knocked out of bounds and hit his head where he had to go to the tent to get checked on for a possible concussion, but then he came back later in the game and the Players Association are questioning whether or not that he came back a little bit too soon. But be that as it may, the Bills did have a last-ditch effort to try to get themselves in field goal range, but... With no timeouts remaining, they had a pass play to the middle of the field where they couldn't get out of bounds, and as the clock was winding down, and it would have been a long field goal to boot, probably somewhere in the the top of my head, it probably would have been 57 yards, but time expired, they couldn't spike the ball in time, and the Bills, who everybody had going to the Super Bowl, who everybody had them potentially being undefeated, so on and so forth, well, now they get knock down a couple of pegs as they lose to the Dolphins in Miami, 21-19. The Bills are going to be fine. I know that at the end, I don't know if it was because of exhaustion to see Josh Allen embraced by Tua Tagovailoa where he looked like he was despondent. 
But the Bills are going to be fine. We understand that you can always lose on the road, especially in the division. And the Dolphins, are they for real? That's what I take away from this game, knowing that they won a game that they should have lost in Baltimore last week, and then now not doing much offensively and having a 50-play difference between the Bills and Dolphins throughout the course of this game. We know the defense. If the defense is out there for 90 plays and it's 90-degree heat, you got to give it up to that defense. Again, I didn't follow this game closely, so I'm sure that the Bills probably put themselves in good position to win this game or had plenty of opportunities to do so. But give it up for the Dolphins and what they've done here just three games in. Now they have a quick turnaround as they have to go to Cincinnati to play the Bengals on a Thursday night. So it's going to be short work for them and their 3-0 record could be in jeopardy with the short week and having to play against the defending AFC champions. Also, the Ravens winning in New England 37-26 to where Mac Jones hurt his ankle on the final play of the game or the final drive. Who knows what his health status is going to be moving forward. Early reports have it that it's a high ankle sprain, so we shall see what's going to happen there with Mac Jones, who has not gotten off to a good start of his 2022 season, had three interceptions there yesterday, And Lamar Jackson just ran all over the field, had five combined touchdowns, and is looking like his MVP form of 2019 as they win 37-26. to Then you have Vegas, who had to go to Tennessee to play the Titans, who are 0-2 to start their year, and you figure one team is going to come out victorious, and it just so happened to be the Titans. I know that the Raiders failed on a two-point conversion late, which is indicative of their early season woes, considering they lost at home to the Chargers, Oh, that was that on the road? No, that was on the road. They lost in LA and then they lost last week at home as we saw to the Arizona Cardinals in just excruciating fashion. And the Raiders, I believe they're the only 0-3 team left in the sport. So three weeks in where generally you still have a couple of teams that are have not gotten themselves into the win column, the Raiders are the last team standing when it comes to that. And that's a surprise, and it goes to show you that there is some parity, or a lot of parity, I should say, in the league. Although there are a lot of bad teams when we take a big look at it. Although it's only three weeks, and as the weeks start to click off, you're going to see that the Texans aren't going to be a good team. You're going to see that the Bears aren't going to be a good team. You're going to see the Commanders not be a good team. It's quite possible that the Pittsburgh Steelers may not be a good team, and we saw what happened there Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns, where the Browns won 29-17. They got a cosmetic touchdown there at the end as they try to get cute with a Stanford Cal lateral. And quickly on the Steelers, just two things. One, it's not all on Mitchell Trubisky. He isn't the problem, people, but at the same time, he is not the answer. Kenny Pickett, unless this team goes 2-5 and or that they're completely out of any type of playoff hunt, That's when we're going to see Kenny Pickett. I would think somewhere around week eight, week nine, where he'll have at least a half a season to be groomed and to ease into the quarterback position. But this isn't all on Trubisky. That's number one. And number two, not only is the defense up to its old tricks where Nick Chubb ran roughshod over the Steeler defense, this team misses C.J. Watt in the worst way. They can't get any pressure on the quarterback. They got none against Mac Jones. They barely got pressure on Jacoby Brissett. I believe there's two sacks in the game, one early and one late. Otherwise, he was able to throw the ball over the lot. Not that he had a great game, but again, it's Jacoby Brissett. You could put me back in that pocket and I'm going to complete plays if the pressure isn't going to be in my face or at my feet or anything like that. So the Steelers, they look like they're going to have a long year. I don't know what's going to happen. They have the Jets coming into their building next week off of a mini-buy considering they played the game Thursday night. But man, that was a tough watch where the Steeler offense, again, in big spots or when they you think they could try to either get ahead or maybe go down the field, you just see a bunch of three and outs and that's it. So that's what I got there with the Steelers. But again, this week was nothing really to get crazy about as tonight you have a Monday night matchup with Dallas playing here against the New York Giants at the Meadowlands, which that could be another game. You could probably tuck yourself in a little bit early. Not a lot of points. They'll be at a premium. And for Jerry Jones, can I just say this real quick? For Jerry Jones to come out early this week or last week, and we know that Jerry Jones is not only the owner of the team, not only the GM, vice president of football operations, 
PR director, spokesperson, talk show host, etc. But for him, head of security, you can name all the different titles and he wears every hat there in the organization. That he actually said that he would welcome a quarterback controversy in Dallas because that means Cooper Rush is playing well. Oh, so you're quite content with Cooper Rush playing well. And it doesn't equate to winning, but let's just say for argument's sake, even if Cooper Rush, in the absence of Dak Prescott, is going to win games for the Cowboys. So you mean to tell me you're paying your star quarterback $35, $40 million a year, and it's going to be okay for him to sit on the sidelines while Cooper Rush is going to man the field, is going to be in control under center, and is going to be the guy that's going to take the Cowboys to the playoffs and the promised land? This is why the Cowboys will never win. Because he has way too much to say. He's way too involved. And I'm sure every Cowboy fan from my dear cousin and former radio partner JD to the biggest bandwagon Cowboy fan there is out there. He just has to go. He just needs to shut up and not say another word. Just sign the checks and that's it. Stay away. But we all know as long as he's alive, that's not going to happen. So that's what we have there with the NFL. Let me see if I missed any games. I know Atlanta and Seattle. Am I really going to get into that? I know Seattle. Geno Smith's putting up some numbers. But again, it's not equating to wins. That's what you got there in a week number three. And a couple other quickies before I turn my attention to college football. No more Pro Bowl. Here's the good and bad of this. You ready, people? This is going to be fun. The NFL's announced that the Pro Bowl is no longer. But they're going to have a Pro Bowl game. So they're going to call it the Pro Bowl games where it's going to be a week-long skills competition for those who are elected to the Pro Bowl. We'll have a week in Vegas where the game will be played at Allegiant Stadium. And I guess they're going to have not only football skills, but non-football skills. I don't know. Does that mean they're going to run 40-yard dashes? Does that mean there's going to be a vertical leap? Uh, Who knows? But they're making this way more out to be than what it should be. But okay, fine. They want to substitute the game itself, which is, please, I went to the 2010 Pro Bowl thanks to winning a sweepstakes, believe it or not. And I went down there and I got there midway through the first quarter and left midway through the third quarter because it was so bad and unwatchable that I said to myself, there's no way that I would subject myself to watching four quarters of this or three and a half at that point. The Pro Bowl is just idiotic to say the least. But here's the other thing. So now they're going to have these Pro Bowl games, but now they're going to have a Pro Bowl flag football game. Are you serious? And I get it that it's become popular over the years, especially with co-ed teams, whether in what city you live in or town where they have a lot of flag football, not only for the kids, but teenagers and maybe even adults for that matter. But the Pro Bowl is going to be flag football. Why are they doing this is beyond me. They should just announce who are Pro Bowl players. You want to have this week-long skills competition, which to me is a joke. Have it just the Saturday and Sunday on the weekend that the Pro Bowl would have been played, and then that's it. But the NFL, they have to continue to ka make money, sell merchandise, have the NFL experience, have people come into the building, which if they are allowing fans, it should be for free. First come, first serve with the tickets, and that's it. Nobody should pay to watch a flag football game. But I could talk about this forever, but the NFL, again, feeling bulletproof and feeling that they could do no harm or can't get out of their own way when it comes to stuff like this, you're going to have a Pro Bowl flag football game on top of the Pro Bowl games the week before the Super Bowl or leading up to the week or the game, what would have been the week before the Super Bowl. Just a disgrace. And speaking of Super Bowl, the halftime show is going to be Rihanna. And I know a lot of people are probably, excuse my French, lost their shit over that. Because Rihanna, we all know the star that she has become, more so outside of music now over the last five years with fashion, with makeup, anything you can imagine. She has been a star shining the brightest in the world of certain industries. We know what she's done in the music field and she hasn't put out a record in years and I know there have been rumors or heard rumors that she actually may be putting out more music here sometime maybe next year. So who knows if this is going to be a springboard to kind of showcase to the world not only her hits but maybe even announce that she got some 
more things cooking in the lab? We shall see, but Rihanna's going to be your halftime artist, and I'm sure the internet's going to explode during the course of that 20-minute show on what date is that? February the 12th, I believe the game is at. So who knows? I don't even know when the game is. I could care less right now, but that's what you have there with the NFL. And with the college, you've had a little bit more turnover here where Oklahoma goes bye-bye, the sixth seed in the country, losing to Kansas State at home, I might add, to where Adrian Martinez, the quarterback, had an enormous game, put up a lot of points, 41, and they were pretty much in control throughout the course of the game. It wasn't as if they came from behind or it was tooth and nail. They pretty much led from the start. Now, the game was tied at 14, although the Wildcats took a 14-0 lead. But then that's when the Kansas State team took over, and Martinez, like I mentioned, who had a big game, running for four touchdowns, and the Sooners, who have been a paper tiger here over the last couple of years, they bow out meekly, 41-34, in their home building, and looks like they're not going to be heard from as far as the college football playoff championship aspirations and all the talk surrounding the Sooners. Other than that, you had Texas A&M, who had another victory. I don't know how this is going to stick, considering Miami lost to Middle Tennessee State. And Miami, who was ranked early on this year, I believe they were as high as 13, and were still ranked against Texas A&M, but you can forget about that one, because if A&M's going to hang their hat on beating Miami when they were ranked in the top 25, this loss to Middle Tennessee State, you could pretty much just flush it and throw it in the garbage as far as even bringing that game up to talk about any type of college football playoff hopes. Now, let me see what they do in two weeks when they play Alabama in Tuscaloosa. They beat them there, and they could beat them by the slimmest of margins. But let's say if they beat them the way Kansas State beat Oklahoma, where they were pretty much in front the whole game, then we could talk. And even then, they're not going to be deserving of being in the top four or five in the country to where they could really put themselves on the map and have their fingerprints all over the college football playoff talk. But let me see them beat Alabama in two weeks, and then maybe, just maybe, we could put them in the discussion. Besides that, the other big game was Clemson. They were in a barn burner with Wake Forest. And Wake Forest, I mentioned this last week or Thursday's pod where Wake Forest ranked. They are at home. And this would have been not only a big win for them, but for the school overall because nobody is going to look at Wake Forest as a college football powerhouse. We all know they're more of a college basketball team led by the Tim Duncans of the world, the Chris Pauls, etc. And... For the Demon Deacons to almost pull that game out in their building. You had a big game from DJ Uagalele, who I can't pronounce his name as I say this all the time. Threw for 371 yards, five touchdowns. And one thing you do have to worry about if you're Clemson is their defense. Because to have the Wake Forest quarterback throw six TDs and 450 yards in the game... That's all you need to know. Sam Hartman is not going to be confused with Ty Detmer back in the 90s with BYU when he won a Heisman Trophy. So if you're Clemson, that's going to be a concern moving forward to when you play whether the Notre Dames of the world. And we know Notre Dame is now a notch or two below this year considering the start that they've gotten off to. But their defense is going to have to make up for what they did there on Saturday giving up 45 points. Although they won based on the quarterback and what they did winning against Wake Forest. And besides that, USC survived at Oregon State. So they're going to be part of the discussion as we take a look at the top 10. The top five have not changed. Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. Then you have USC. They moved up a notch to sixth. Kentucky also moves up with Oklahoma losing. And then, of course, Texas A&M, as I mentioned earlier, they beat Arkansas, who was ranked 10th. They dropped down in the rankings to where we have Tennessee move up, Oklahoma State move up, and even NC State move into the top 10. So not only did you have Oklahoma lose and fall out of the top 10, but you had Arkansas, who was 10th, but losing to Texas A&M, they fall out. So we've had some shifting there of teams moving up. And who knows, when we look at the grand scheme of things, could these teams, on a whole, be there when it's all said and done in late November where they're hanging around that top 10 or even in the top six or seven so they could sneak in through the back door 
and be part of the college football playoff. Now, of course, you're going to have to have Ohio State lose a game. And even with one loss, you think they're going to make it into the playoff. Michigan, they may cancel each other out with Ohio State and Michigan. And remember, Michigan has to go to Ohio State this year. So if Michigan does suffer a loss, and it looks like their schedule is going to be pretty easy heading into that game against Ohio State. Although you never know, they have a big game against Penn State, I believe, upcoming. I'll take a look at their schedule on Thursday's podcast. But one of those two teams is going to cancel each other out, just like we saw last year where Ohio State, they lost early in the year, if you remember, to Oregon, and then they lost at Ann Arbor. So that canceled them out of the playoff mix to where Michigan, of course, made it into the Final Four. But who's going to be that fourth team if you're going to have Georgia, Bama, whomever represents the Big Ten, that fourth team is going to be big. Is it going to be Clemson? Remains to be seen. Could it be USC and Lincoln Riley? Who knows? Kentucky, could they sneak in through the back door and maybe get the fourth spot? Still a lot of college football to be played, but that's something that, at least for right now, we can kind of keep our eyes on to see how these Cinderella's, if you wish, Kentucky in particular, even NC State, then now they're in, they're in the top 10. So a lot of college football to be played, but so far, that's what we got there with the college football scenario. And with training camps opening up tomorrow in the NBA, as I put on my high tops, the only news of note that we could discuss, and who knows come Thursday, I'm sure, with media day throughout the league, we'll hear a lot. I know Giannis had something to say about him being asked who's the best player in the league and he feels it's going to be Steph Curry should be the number one player in the league considering that he won the title and everything that he did last year winning the finals MVP etc so that's neither here nor there I'm not going to get into that but the situation in Boston with Ime Odoka the details that have come out which haven't been much but of course the suspension is official he's going to be out for the whole year Joe Mazzulla is going to be the interim coach. And I could talk a little bit more about how they're going to respond. And I did touch on that on Thursday's podcast. So if you want to listen to that, you can. But now you have to wonder whether or not whatever's going down. And the big takeaway that I got from the weekend is what Matt Barnes said. Matt Barnes had put out a video, I believe, Thursday night. And pretty much what he said in the video is that he was standing by Emei Odoka. Now, I didn't get the whole gist of it. That's pretty much what I read. I was trying to find the video online because on Friday, I did see the video that on his Instagram account that Matt Barnes put up saying that he had to take down that post, that he apologized for what he said. He was 100% accountable and took ownership of it, which you got to give it up to him for that because there's a lot of people, not only just in the media, but a guy who was a former athlete, a guy who was a former NBA player who owned up to what it is that he said and could have easily brushed it off or could have easily taken the high road or whatever. But no, he came out and said that I have to take back what I said about Udoka, my comments supporting him, etc. And based on someone who was close to the situation, he said that, Matt Barnes that is, that it's a thousand times worse than what we could imagine. What in the hell that could be? Who knows? Maybe this is why the Celtics suspended him for a year because of whatever that happened in Boston, there was no way that if they would have given him, let's say, 20 games or half a season and then the truth finally came out or whenever it does come out, that the Celtics would be vilified from pillar to post. Who knows if and when this is going to come out and I understand there's a lot of controversy for the Celtics even putting this out to the point where they even announced that the policy that was strict from the organization about not having any relationship with players and personnel, staff, whatever that may be. And for that to come out the way it did without divulging what maybe the deeper truth is, put the organization and even maybe the woman that was involved with Udoka on the griddle. There's been a lot of backlash in Boston, which is undeserved and unwarranted because there's no way that this woman whomever that may be, is and was involved with Udoka to the point where she should be the one that takes the fall or the hit for this. Uh Uh-uh, this is all on Udoka. He does not get a pass by any means necessary. But now the main thing is, what is the truth? I'm not going to speculate what it is. 
But if Matt Barnes says, and not to say that his word is gospel, but because of connecting the dots here, when we look at a one-year suspension, the Celtics have put their decision on ice on whether or not that he's going to be terminated based on what had taken place. And if it is worse, if there has been any sort of abuse involved, or whatever it is, and I don't know people, I, it's just speculation from afar. They're going to have no choice but to terminate him. And I understand that keeping it in-house at this point and under wraps, and I'm sure they do not want it to get out. But eventually, it's going to leak. There's going to be a source. There's going to be speculation. There's going to be something. And it's going to come a point that once it's announced that he's terminated, if he does get terminated, we're going to know at some point to the extent of what happened behind the scenes there as to not only him getting involved with this woman, but the situation or the happenings of that relationship, how it unfolded to the point where they had to let go of their former coach. And he's not the former coach yet, but you get what I'm saying. It looks like this could be an ugly situation where the Celtics are going to have no choice but to take care of this. Maybe not swift because, again, they don't have to make a decision tomorrow, next week, whatever. But as I said on Thursday, and I'll say one more time, they do have to nip this in the bud sooner than later. And they did have a press conference the other day. But this is just an ugly scenario. And if you ask me, if this is anything that's truly damning to Udoka and damaging not only him, which is already damaged to begin with, but if it's worse than what this may turn out to be, he has to go. I get it. Second chances. I get it. How could you just let him go? Give him a break, so on and so forth. But until we find out the real truth, then we need to see where this lies. But based on what I... And I get it. We have to wait for that truth. Wow, this is bad. But no matter how you slice it, based on just reading some of the tea leaves here, I'm sure this is just going to be a situation where the Celtics are going to have to fire him. It looks like it's going to be pretty bad. And again, I don't know. Say it one last time, but we shall see, I'm sure, in the days and weeks to come, if this does get uncovered, what this will be like. And I'm sure the Celtics are going to try to deal with this as swift as they possibly can because, ugh, just to think on the eve of training camp that they have to even go through this with a guy that took him to the finals and could have been a coach that the league would look at as being one of the best in the years to come. It looks like you could pretty much forget about that, especially in Boston, but we shall wait and see how this all shakes down. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, getting your sports fix with yours truly. I greatly appreciate your participation. And speaking of which, if you can participate in your own way by Please, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Once again, I would appreciate it to the nth degree. We want to keep the visibility out, open, and up when it comes to this podcast. As I'm competing with all the others that are out there and being a one-man operation, you know, it's a little bit tricky. So take a screenshot, share it with me on social media. I'll get to those sites in a second. But once again, if you could please do that, I would thank you from the bottom of my heart. And again, you want to hit me up on social media, you could go to the following, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or if you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, a suggestion, you could go to the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to put forth, please, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, will go 100% to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, all the equipment, etc. Just to make this experience into your earbuds or speakers that much more pleasurable, that much more heightened as I look to put some exclusive content once I get more traction on this particular platform Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay. Because I love to critique, praise, 
share my analysis, thoughts, opinions, feelings on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>